Hello, I'm Joe Frost here with my co-host Peter Linus and this is Being Human. Hi there. Hi. How are you? Well, I'm loving being stuck in a broom cupboard again. Yes, I know we feel like we have to confess this each time that for all sorts of sound reasons we're now moved into a broom cupboard. Apparently glass offices don't work well for recording. <laughs> they really, really don't, but this is this is really quite interesting. Anyway, it's great, it's lovely, loving it. So we're back, we're on freedom and this time free speech, which is a hot topic in, in our fast-paced contested culture. Yes, we're going to be looking into some of the live and current headlines of which you have been some of them. It's been it's been fun. Um, we're going to check in, see what's going on, but we're also going to have a little look under the radar about what is going on, about how this is shaping and defining what we mean um, by being human. Yeah, so we're back with some of the big stories, as you say. We've actually had to do a bit of a rejig on this one. That's allowed us to bring in some of the stories that are right uh, in the minute uh, coming out. So we're covering Franklin Graham, Destiny Church and the Evangelical Alliance. That's us featuring right in that one. Um, Mesut Ozil, I bet you I butchered that one. Uh, the footballer, uh, Israel Folau, Billy Vinopola, the rugby players, Eric Little, the runner, uh, Burritos, Chick-fil-A, Harry the Owl and her old friend Tim Farron. Seriously, that's what we're going to cover today. Uh, and Jordan Peterson didn't quite get to that. Hit, harm, no platforming. And of course, Donald Trump has to come in there eventually. Okay, great. I mean, everyone is so excited. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? Absolutely. Uh, but that's why I'm here. I'm the lawyer to remind us when we get things wrong. No? Maybe. Right, let's see. <laughs> anyway, if you missed the first few episodes, they were awesome. You should have been listening to them. Uh, we are looking at this idea of what it is to follow Jesus in this crazy cultural context in which we are living. We're looking at what it is to be human. We're looking at what it is to be free. And right now, free speech. Okay, so... Let's crack on. If we're going to frame this episode in a question, I think it's going to be something along the lines of how important is free speech and where are, are there limits? <laughs> are there limits? And if so, where are they? Yes. Yeah, so we previously, I think, mentioned Tim Farron. Yep. Um, he essentially lost his job as leader of the Lib Dems for speaking about his faith. Um, and this time we're going to chat about uh, kind of a few days in the life of Pete and Joe to kick us off. Is this going to turn into some kind of therapy session? Is that not what podcasts are? No. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> if you need therapy, start a podcast. I really hope not. It's definitely a meme coming. Okay. So a little bit of background for those um, who haven't lived their life on the, uh, on the Christian Twitter sphere recently. Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham. CEO of the BGEA, Samaritan's Purse, was set is set to tour the UK in the coming months as part of an evangelistic Graham tour. But recently, we have seen venues fall like dominoes as councils have all scrambled um, to toe the progressive line and no platform the American preacher. Uh, London's always been in doubt, but Sheffield, Liverpool, Glasgow, Birmingham, Milton Keynes, Newport and Newcastle have all fallen by the wayside. Yeah. None of them are currently taking place. Currently, but depends when you listen to this. It's always being updated. So Franklin had uh, booked to speak at the Hydro Centre in Glasgow as part of the tour. Uh, that venue is part owned by the City Council. 
Susan Aiken is the leader of the local authority, and she said that allowing Franklin Graham to go ahead would break, sorry, could break the law. Now, hmm. I have to say I'm curious as to what law she has in mind. As a former barrister, it beats me. In fact, it feels like a minority report moment. Um, if anything, I would say Franklin Graham's being penalised for what someone thinks he might say. And it's probably the council who are going to have to explain their decision because uh, it could be a breach of the Equalities Act. In fact, the case is before the Scottish courts right at this moment. Um, and it would appear that there could be discrimination here on religious beliefs. The Hydro Centre is ironically due to host the COP26 summit, which is the big climate change summit, uh, later in the year, around November time. It'll be just in and around the US election. So who knows, the US president, who knows who that'll be, could yet turn up. So it could be Donald Trump turning up at the Hydro Centre. Are they going to ban him? It gets them into all sorts of problems as to who they allow to speak and on what basis. Interesting. Okay, so... I mean, I think it's probably fair to say Franklin Graham's what you might call a Marmite figure. You said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. some people... It's, it's fair to say the community's split over this, yes. right? Some see him as a pretty bold, prophetic voice. Others will see his political views as divisive and unhelpful. Um, but that isn't the point in this moment. Uh, freedom of speech is only worth something when it affirms the freedom of everybody, including those that we disagree with. Interesting. Okay, so... Yes, we've got we've got members in the Evangelical Alliance where we work that are actively supporting the Graham tour and others who have real concerns. And I think it's really important that good conversations need to be had around effective evangelism, what that looks like, what the role of the local church is in that. But in this moment, when venues owned by local people, run by their council, in contractual agreements, are challenging freedom of speech and freedom of religions we should all share concerns about that. Absolutely. And the story doesn't actually end just simply with the cancellation of Franklin Graham. No, no. This is where we come in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So Destin Era Member Church in Scotland, they expressed their support for Franklin Graham. And what and then, happened next? And then the next day, so obviously Franklin Graham's in Glasgow, the next day Edinburgh pops up and decides to cancel the Destiny church conference where our boss Gav Calvert is due to speak because of a um, of a concern raised around the other keynote speaker who is an American evangelist coming over from the States. The Edinburgh Council spokeswoman said, we're committed to promoting diversity and equal rights for all. Ah, but do they mean for all? Do they really mean everyone? So the Times picked up on the story and they labelled destiny a sect, which seems like a bit of a cheap use of language. It's a classic sort of technique, you other someone that we disagree with. And uh, then they had a pretty subtle dig, uh, not so subtle dig maybe, at our boss Gav. Uh, I wrote a letter in response. Uh, they didn't print that, but they did run part of it under the heading, we are treated like Uyghurs, claim evangelical Christians, which is the exact opposite of what we'd actually written in the letter. Yeah, by, by the time you were plastered all over the, um, the Times, it was less subtle, I think it was fair to say. But the Uyghur reference came because you had written about uh, a footballer who had tweeted his support of the Uyghur people um, who are being oppressed by that for their faith in in China as, as Muslims um, and a reference to an earlier podcast we've been talking about um, where the Chinese authorities have refused Dao. This, this is a bit where we get interesting because the Chinese authorities have refused to broadcast Arsenal's football matches where he plays. 
So you were arguing that councils and venues here in the UK are following a similar approach where people who uh, are vocal about their support of somebody who we don't like can then get no platformed. Yes, so Chinese government and Edinburgh and Glasgow City Council, SNAP, doing the same thing. And that's what we were trying to point out was that uh, the, the hypocrisy of what was going on so then we entered the world of sports with Mesut Ozil, the Arsenal footballer, and our friend Israel Falau, who I've also written about, is back in the news too. Yes, it's just like this this free speech. Christmas. Yes, indeed. Okay, so why does this excite you? Because uh, Israel Falau was fired by Rugby Australia for an Insta post of a Bible verse. That was some time ago before the Rugby World Cup. Now, I wouldn't have posted what Israel did, um, but his sin if you want to put it that way, seems to have been to challenge the new sexual orthodoxy. Rugby Australia have ultimately settled that case for a substantial sum, which is basically an admission, then they were at least partially in the wrong in that. Um, but there are some worrying commentary at the time. The rugby pundit Stuart Barnes, again in the time, said this, he always loathed the way those islanders formed a circle post-match to give their enlightened, sorry, and give their praises to what I regard as a fabrication. He went on to say, but I'm a child of the Enlightenment, fortunate enough to have the benefit of a reasonable education. And his solution, basically, was not inclusion or diversity or respect for those of different views, but rather, really, just a whiff of colonialism promoting the progressive agenda, the secular orthodoxy. If only they had the education I had, they'd be fine. It, it's just shocking, actually, what he said. Yeah, that... It, yeah, it, it really is. Okay, so... And now Israel Flow is back. Yeah. He's playing rugby league back, uh, I think, in the the Catalan... Oh, Dragons, I think they're called, but in, in the Super League that plays here in the UK. Yeah, so there's um, a Radio 5 Live piece on this, isn't there, where the commentators noted that the rugby league clubs have met behind closed doors and agreed that none of them would then sign Falau. Surely that's discrimination. Yeah, well, it definitely seems like discrimination on the face of it. So so the Catalan Dragons have now signed him and people are threatening boycotts, legal action against him. It's yeah, crazy. there were clubs threatening to dress up and as pride for the day when they played them and all sorts of things. So Radio 5 Live picked this up. A really interesting show uh, reflecting some of the bias around this. Darren Campbell and Eleanor Olderoid uh, were the presenters. And they just couldn't see how Falau should be allowed to work again. Despite Rugby Australia settling, uh, they were kind of implying uh, th that, you know, somehow, you know, so they're clearly in the wrong in that settlement. And yet they were like, why should Falau be allowed to play rugby anywhere in the world again, basically? And finally, they get Martin Bashir on, uh, the religious editor. And he's really uh, quite good in, the, in this interview. And he talks about my hero, Eric Little, um, who wouldn't run on a Sunday. Uh, and an exchange that goes on about his beliefs by the, I think it's the kind of British Olympic Committee, discussing Little's refusal to run. And the Duke of Sutherland says this, the lad, Little, as you call him, is a true man of principles and a true athlete. His speed is a mere extension of his life, its force. We sought to sever his running from himself. So good. So the idea then is you cannot separate the person from their beliefs. We saw that with with Tim Farron, with the um, with as a politician. We see that with Franklin Graham as a preacher. We see that with Mesut Uzu, the footballer, and now again with Israel Folau on the rugby field. Absolutely. So it's bringing together freedom of religion and belief with freedom of expression and freedom of speech. 
So this is my little gentle pushback on this though, because free speech, especially as you frame it, is the defending the right of everybody to speak, even those that you disagree with. But sometimes it feels on occasion that we just stand up and defend the rights of people to be rude and offensive. Yeah, it can seem that way. Um, but ultimately, these rights are fundamental uh, for all people. OK, but sometimes, again, it feels quite defensive, protectionist, almost like the, it, the cost for free speech is protecting the right of people to be mean. Yeah, and I get why it comes across that way. And in some senses, that that is that is going to be a part of it. Um, but we also have to, be, we do have to be able to have the conversation around that. We have to be able to work things out in dialogue. One of the things we want to do is is create different ways in which we have these conversations. Um, and it's not always self-evident what is kind or generous in these situations um, because we have this kind of almost increasingly pharisaic public square that wants to silence dissent, that wants to police free speech and then the space for the kind of conversation you're talking about is actually pretty rapidly shrinking um yeah, so yeah. up for the conversation but to do that you can't no platform somebody you know franklin graham can't have the conversation because they've taken away a platform to have the conversation uh, yes and and i th i think for me that is exactly where i come in but i also want to know what modeling good kind, generous conversations look like in a culture which is rapidly shrinking the space. Yeah, so I think uh, one of the most contested areas that really highlights the concern that you're raising, and I think we'll continue to for the next few years, is going to be around the transgender movement. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be really interesting. So Harry the Owl, who we mentioned in the intro, a guy called Harry Miller, Harry the Owl's his Twitter name, has the police and the police coming round and recording a non-crime hate incident against him. Uh, so you might be surprised at that. That's an interesting notion. So it wasn't a crime, the things that he tweeted, but the police felt, uh, because somebody felt it had a hate component to it, they record it as that. And uh, he judicially reviewed um, the guidance that led to this uh, and his record around that. Remember, no crime committed, but he got a record for some tweets that he had. And actually, the judge has now ruled on this case. He indicated that he, he had certain sympathies for Harry Miller, and he's actually ruled in his favour. I have commented that I'm a bit concerned, though, that the underlying guidelines still remain. So something that I tweet, that you tweet, could still be viewed by the police as a non-crime, didn't do anything wrong or illegal, but because somebody perceives it to be hateful, it gets recorded as a non-crime hate incident on the centre records and on our record. And that's the real problem behind this case. Wow. And and that that is going on further, isn't it? There's more conversations to be had about whether or not you can get a record for a non-crime. Yeah, so he got he was he won his case because the police got so carried away they came around and said we're here to check your thinking and then they actually the assistant chief constable said accused him of being a transphobe so the police went so far the judge said that was way out of kilter I'm going to turn your you know I'm going to overrule in your case but the guidelines remain and yet the same day a mum was sentenced and criminally convicted for other things she'd said on Twitter again things I wouldn't say but I don't think they should be illegal so but the space to have the discussion seems to be being uh, restricted or closed down and that's the real danger here yes because Maya Forrester lost her job for a tweet that she sent out saying stating that she believed sex, biological sex is real. JK Rowling stepped up to support um, her case, but, but she her firing was 
upheld. The- yeah, so the tribunal didn't find in her favour. They were their company were allowed to fire her. But what was probably most interesting was J.K. Rowling getting involved. Like she's pretty woke on many issues, but on this one she weighed in and said, "Hold on, no biological sex is real," and she got some serious pushback and flack on Twitter for that. Um, and so. The interesting thing, again, is that trans and free speech is what brought Jordan Peterson to prominence. So Peterson, some people I suspect listening, will know nothing about him, and other people will know loads and loads. He's a kind of Marmite figure again. I'm Fit- trying very hard to know little. Uh, my husband's read his book, and lots of guys I know seem to really like him. So come on, who is he and why should I care? Uh, he's 55-year-old, he's grey-haired, Canadian, academic, uh, until recently very little known outside his field of psychology. He's a bit of a YouTube star, particularly amongst young men, um, which sorry, nearly sorry. covers your husband. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, 55-year-old grey-haired YouTube star? Yeah, so he's okay. kind of counterintuitive in that way. He's a pretty classic academic who's kind of come to fame, and the reason was the Canadian government had a bill Bill C-16, around how you address somebody who was trans around the use of preferred pronouns. Peterson said, nope, I don't recognise another person's right to determine what pronouns I use to address them. I think uttering those words makes me a tool of their motivations. So basically he said, look, if you were in my class and you said about your name or pronoun, I probably would use them. What I object to is anybody telling me what to do. The state saying this is what you must say. So for Peterson, this was around freedom and truth, being told what to say, especially by the government, he said was one step towards tyranny. So that's interesting because, again, you have hit the headlines recently Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, around freedom of speech versus compelled speech. And I think this there gets into that issue, doesn't it, about I'm free to say what I want to say in a public space, but you can't make me say something else. Yeah, the gay case, the Asher's case, was about compelled speech. Um, And uh, the notion, again, the Bakers, this guy came in and said, I want you to put this... um, slogan in support of same-sex marriage and they said no we'll bake you a cake we're not discriminating against you because you're gay but we do uh, object to the message on the cake and therefore we're not going to print that because that would be compelling us to support your cause okay. for which private eye have had a go at me <laughs> <laughs> you're doing really well on this whole this whole conversation okay so the reason why i do know about jordan peterson back to jordan peterson is his book 12 rules for life now i can't bear this so I haven't read it. What has he done? And again, why do I care? Uh, so it seems, I mean, he's written this book that has been Amazon top seller for months and months. Um, he seems to see there's a space. Christianity is no longer, um, we're kind of in a post-Christian society. And there's a moral relativism left behind. And his book's really practical, life lessons. He just says, look, this is the way things are. He offers certainty. He offers truth in a certain form, uh, to millennial generations, some of whom are fed up waving placards and then complaining about their problems. And he says, OK, let's sort this out. Your world is chaotic at both the micro level, your individual level, and at the big level, the whole world is kind of mad. And he says, I've got a solution that's going to bring some order. So he says, look, aim, you know, aim high, set your sights on the betterment of being, align yourself in your soul with truth and the highest good. There's habitable order to establish and beauty to bring into existence. Um, evil to overcome, and so on. So his solution to the chaos is set some rules, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and all will be good. So that sounds worryingly similar to what we're advocating here around <laughs> practices. <laughs> 
yes and no. Um, so he gives these fascinating lectures in downtown Toronto. 12 three-hour lectures. People were paying to hear him. Like Toronto, one of the most liberal cities. Uh, he hires the theatre himself. People come and he lectures these three-hour lectures 12 weeks in a row on Genesis 1 to 12. Sorry. He says he does a series of 12 three-hour lectures that people pay to listen to on Genesis 1 to 12. Yes. I've listened to quite a few of them. They are some of the most interesting stuff. Like he weaves in theology, it's fascinating at points, and then he goes off on a mad tangent. But for Peterson, what interests me is that free speech is so important because God spoke creation into being. The speech actually what created this world. In Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and there was, and that's a key moment. So Peterson, to me, seems to have caught a bit of the biblical message. Speech acts matter. Truth matters. He says, we live in a world of chaos, if only there could be order, which again comes from Genesis chapter 1. But ultimately, he inclines to self-help and personal responsibility, and that's where we jar with him. He basically says, you can help yourself, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. If you try harder, you can solve your problems. So what he's missing is Jesus. Yes. It sounds very Sunday school, but yes. Because <laughs> you can't you can't have speech without the word. You can't have truth without the truth. And Jesus is the is what brings order out of the chaos. Revelation twenty um twenty one, there isn't any C, the symbol of chaos in Revelation. It, without Jesus None of this works. We are always going to fail. We are never going to live up to our humanity in any of this. Yes, but you now, and I think are very interesting, but you, I'm going to steal your role because you'd always say to me, so what? What's your point? There so much is. information. What about the message? So what? what is the point of what we're talking about, Joe? So it, it's, it's that, isn't it? It's this idea that we... We as a society and we as a culture, we do want the kingdom. We do want this world where people have dignity, have freedom, um, have progress and hope, um, kindness, honour, all of those things. But we don't want the king. We have utterly missed the point of the kingdom of God is heralded by the king. Jesus is always offering something more. John 8 is so powerful on this. You go to the word and you abide in Jesus. And then we will be his disciples. And we yeah, I truth. think he used the same word as in John 15, that abide in me notion. Yeah. If you are truly my disciples, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will make or will set you free. And the disciples don't seem to get it. And they're kind of saying, we're sons and descendants of Abraham. You know, what do you mean we'll be free? And he says, you're slaves to sin. Like it's jarring language to a Jewish listener. Um, slaves have no place in the household. But he said, the son will make you free. And if that's the case, then you're going to be free indeed, truly free, which is right at the core of what we were talking yes. about. But it's the son. Paul picks up the same idea in Galatians, freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery. Don't let the world tell you that you can be the master of your own freedom. It's not going to work. We are adopted into God's family so we can cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer slaves, but children, children of the Father, as it, with Christ, through God. Boom. Boom. Yes, boom. Um, freedom. 
is found not in being this free-floating individual, not in taking personal responsibility, but being adopted into the family, into the church, with all its wonderful messiness and commitments and responsibilities. And that's where we're nurtured and that's where we're looked after and that's where we're released into our full potential. Yes. And I think... I think this then pushes us even further into our freedom narrative where freedom isn't simply about control or choice but is about relationships and this idea that if you you can follow Jesus on your own you can have a relationship with Jesus just me how I choose to do it what suits me and my personality where I get my spiritual um, food from and not be embedded in a church not being part of the family they're like the disciples. What do you mean? We've been set free. I have, I'm, I'm fine. And I have more choice than I know what to do with. But, but Jesus says, no, no, go to the messiness, go to the brokenness, go to the fallibility of the church, because actually that is where you are going to find your freedom in the presence of God and in the presence of others. Yeah, and John A. goes on to remind us that freedom is found in the Father's presence. It's not in the individualism, it's not in the consumerism and the stuff that we have, it's in the presence of the Father. And that shift from law to grace that I think Peterson hasn't caught means that we can approach the Father directly, we can enter into his presence, we can abide in and with him. And I think that's part of the reason why the issue of freedom can be so confusing. We mean different things when we use the term. Our culture is saying it's about individual choice, it's casting off commitments. But in Ephesians 1, Paul puts it like this, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, because of his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people. Free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either. We are abundantly free. Uh, so that's our challenge then. How do we live in that freedom in a world that is championing something markedly different and that's I think what we're trying to wrestle out here isn't it the realities of what freedom looks like in in a world of transgender debates of no platforming of Donald Trump of of street peaches what do we do with this um how do we navigate through some of these challenges uh, with difficulty, but I think we've got to press in and do that. So, I mean, trans questions come up. We've produced a resource. Yeah. Um, I was involved in that. We look at some of those issues like names and like pronouns and compelled speech. Um, you know, it's tough stuff. Like, I'm comfortable using names when I meet those within the trans community. I'll use their pronouns on occasions, but I'm alert to what that might mean in terms of the, the compelling and being complicit in something. Anyway, it's kind of a bigger issue, but at eauk.org forward slash trans, we have those resources and some videos of chatting with people for whom this is much more real and engaging with them around that. Okay, so we're coming into land. <laughs> promises, promises. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, we wanted to return to this idea of, of no platforming right back to where we started around freedom of speech and, and maybe look at uh, the experience of President Trump coming in last June and, and what that did and where our practice might come from. So no platforming, the practice of stopping a speaker you disagree with from even having a platform to share their views. Um, this is also being tied in with what's now being termed cancel culture. So it's not just I don't want to invite that speaker to my event, 
but the lobbying and the campaigning for an event that's happening somewhere else or, or something that you're not attached to to cancel or no platform speakers already books or events that are already happening. So, yes, it's not even just about dis- uh, not inviting people you disagree with, but disrupting the events. Yeah, preventing anybody from getting out there and putting out their side of the conversations. It's, it's, it's an interesting move. Uh, most people agree with free speech and the limit to that tends to be incitement to violence. That's what's generally agreed. But there's this res- recent shift to say, well, I disagree with you. I find what you're saying is actually offensive. It's hurtful to me. I think it's hate speech. It's harmful. It's an act of violence. And you can see how somebody just slides along that. So it moves from disagreement where we dialogue about it to saying, well, actually, no, you shouldn't even be allowed to air your views. And really, the only limit is supposed to be incitement to violence. That's what's generally agreed. But we're seeing a new fundamentalism that seems almost scared that their own views are not persuasive enough. So they want to ban the other in that. Yeah, it's because we're shifting what we understand by violence. So violence used to be understood very simply as physical harm what it means to actually physically hurt somebody but now psychological emotional harm is violent and we are slipping so far down that road that we we don't know what it means to disagree in a place that isn't incitement to violence yeah, and that's going to be a challenge for us as Christians we're going to have to be pretty thoughtful around this because we want the freedom to hold and share our views and we've got to acknowledge the rights of others to do the same you know I've written an article defending uh, a burrito chain uh, who mocked Christianity. Uh, but if I don't do that and say, you have the right, I think it was irresponsible, I don't agree with you, I want to respond to that, but I also want the freedom to share my views and I need to respect your right to do that. Uh, and that's the only way we can defend someone like Chick-fil-A and their right to support who they want with their profits. They were getting flack for supporting Salvation Army of all people with their profits. And so we've got to reflect on how we use our speech wisely in this moment and also acknowledge the rights of others we disagree with who also have rights to free speech. Yeah, I I really valued um, Krish Kandaya, formerly of this parish. Um, he wrote a really interesting article at the time when President Trump was coming over. And he drew this analogy of welcoming an emergency foster placement into his home and, and compared that with attending the state dinner with Donald Trump. And he noted the people that Jesus had dinner with. Jesus was never... Never concerned that hospitality involved endorsement of wrongdoing, reputational risk management, manipulation of optics, branding, popularity, all the things that I'm obsessed with. Jesus didn't know platform those that he disagreed with or retreat to his affirmative echo chamber. Instead, Jesus ate with his opponents and his critics. For Jesus, hospitality was an opportunity to expose hypocrisy to expose taboo, shatter expectations, prejudices, offer second chances, honour outcasts. Ultimately, his hospitality brought hope to dark places. Yeah, as Chris noted, uh, when we as the United Kingdom extend a welcome, whether to refugees or presidents, it declares that hospitality will always win over hostility. I think that was a great line. It proclaims that we are not afraid of confrontation or contamination, but live with the possibility of transformation. To me, it announces that we will not be ruled by criticism, but by belief in second chances in hope and in redemption. Yes. And not only does he write those articles, but Chris practices what he preaches. He sets up home for good, inviting the church to live into this model of hospitality, be a part of the solution of the adoption and fostering shortage that we have here in the UK. 
So Heva is linking again what Jesus and Paul do in tying our freedom into the adoption into God's family and how do we live out, how do we practice that and share that beautiful and important message. Yeah, and he does that in his own home and home for good again, just to really say, go and check that out. Amazing organization and what they're doing. And then we have to try and land because we said this, the final, final, final thing we wanted to look at and maybe reflect on was kind of public acts of sharing our faith, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's on the streets, uh, the kind of thing that you are or are not allowed to do in the UK. Yes, because if free speech is sh- is shutting down, if if we're not allowed to air our views that may be culturally controversial, are we allowed to share our faith? So, Mr. Lawyer? Yes, the short answer <laughs> is yes. Um, we did some Talking Jesus research, um, and it showed that in the UK, one in five and non-Christians, after having a conversation with a Christian about Jesus, say they're open to an encounter with Jesus. So some really encouraging stuff in that. Um, and there's this huge opportunity, but then we've got this religious illiteracy, confusion, attempts by some to kind of chill the atmosphere around public expression. So we know we're mandated to talk about our faith. We know that people are open to it when we do it. So can we be confident? And we produced a resource uh, with Lawyers Christian Fellowship uh, around that. It's called Speak Up. Uh, And so we wanted to talk about that because one of the reasons what we discovered in that Talking Jesus resource uh, was that there are 1 million gospel conversations every week, roughly. So just over 50 million a year. And you think how many of those end up in the newspapers? Like how many is there a big problem? Is it half a dozen stories a year? So basically you've got like a one, it's not even one in a million, it's one in 10 million chance of getting into trouble. And if you do, just ring Joe. (laughs) Well, yes. Um, I I think, yeah, the good news there is that that Jesus is something we all have a part to share in. And and we have these freedoms. We have these amazing rights in the UK to share these stories. But in this country, we've got to use those rights. We've got to speak up. We've got to share. The more often we do it in the workplace, the easier it is, is to to maintain that right. The more often we do it in our communities, the easier it is to gossip the gospel. Um, we have great freedom. We should use them. Yeah, so we just to be crystal clear, we do have legal protections to speak freely about Jesus Christ and all sorts of topics affecting our freedom of conscience and belief. Uh, and they're considerable in the UK. They're written into law. Um, there are some restrictions or limitations, but they're very few, and we have a lot more freedom than we probably think. So at home, it's basically unlimited freedom. At work, beware of the power dynamics. You know, more often is better. If you're constantly doing it, that's actually better than if you just kind of randomly come in one day and start doing it. As long as you treat everyone the same and as long as you don't misuse a power position, you're pretty much in the clear. And then thirdly on the street, um, make sure it's public. You know, Make sure there's no bylaws. Make sure you're not accidentally on somebody else's property. You can offend, but please don't try to. Why would we do that? So just to say the Speak Up resource, again, you can get that on our website. We work with Lawyers Christian Fellowship just to try and set that out a bit more because that's a super brief summary. But it's one of our most popular resources because people want to talk about Jesus and we are actually free to do so. Yeah, we have such an amazing role to pray, to play, sorry. Um, Pray and play. Well, yeah, true. (laughs) Um, Introducing people to Jesus because... We genuinely believe that our freedom, our humanity, the ultimate act of love is one person being introduced to Jesus 
by another. Throughout history, we have done this. Christians in all walks of society, all around the world, they've been compelled to share these acts of faith. And this is our story, and we all have a role to play in sharing it. Totally. I mean, every follower of Christ today exists because someone, somewhere, at some time introduced them to Jesus. As you say, introducing people to Jesus is that highest act of love. Like, what more could we want to do? It's not only that we're commanded or told to do it, it's what we want to do. It comes from the outflow of our own experience of being set free by Christ. Evangelism is not a problem to be solved in our society. It's a sign of its health. It's a sign, in fact, of a free society. And we want to encourage Christians, like when you read those odd stories, just keep them in context. We, context. We're not persecuted. Of course, there are moments of problems. But we have incredible freedoms. Largely celebrate that. The biggest issue is we don't use the freedoms we have. So thanks so much for listening. We are a new podcast. So if you've enjoyed this episode of Being Human, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a chance, uh, please do rate us, review us kindly, let people know about us. So until next time. Be blessed. Be blessed.